1775, there was a war that started, and for us here in America, we should be familiar with that. Let me get off that picture there. There we go. In 1775, the War for Independence started, or some of you may call it the Revolutionary War, and in 1781, it ended. In 1861, another war started in America called the Civil War, and in 1865, it ended. And you know, we could walk through the history of America and walk through every war that it's been involved in and kind of detail when it started, detail when it ended, and then we could go to other countries and do the same. Most wars have a starting time and an ending time. But you know what? There is another war that has been going on for a long time and it is not done. When an angel named Lucifer rebelled against God, there was a war that started between right and wrong, a war between the flesh and the spirit. It started at this time, but let's be very clear, this war has not ended, it is still going on. As you study history, you recognize that in each war, there are individual battles that are waged, and some battles are more important than others, but winning one battle in a war usually does not guarantee victory in that war. Often even winning a couple battles does not guarantee victory, but what happens is that there needs to be the consistent winning of battles in order for one side to be able to declare victory over the other. You know, I would suggest to you that for every one of us in this room, there is a war that is going on in our life right now. And every day, if you are a believer, there are literally hundreds of battles that go on every single day in your life. For sure every single week. Some of these battles, by God's grace, that you see victory quickly, but others, other battles seem like they never end. Some seem like they take a lifetime to work on. But I would suggest this to you, that every battle where you see victory is a step in seeing ultimate victory in your life, a step of becoming more like Jesus Christ. You know, this week while you've been at camp, God has spoke to many of you about specific things in your life. That's what's one of the great things about camp. You're kind of saturated with the Word of God, and you have a whole week that is really focused on what you need to change to become more like Jesus Christ. And this week, God has worked in your hearts, and there's been some victories in your life. There's been some things that you have said yes to God about, and you have said no to Satan about, and you've said, Lord, I want to please you, and I'm not going to follow the world's ways. There have been some victories, but young person, I want you to know that just because you have seen a few battles won this week, the war is far from over. It's not done. Satan doesn't look at this week and say, oh man, oh no, uh, th- that young person, they, got, they gave some things over to God this week. They made some things right. They confessed some sin. Oh no, what, what do I do? I mean, they, they obviously have won. No, that's not how Satan operates. Matter of fact, I would suggest to you that Satan is probably going to be more and more active at trying to battle in your life, at tempting you and going after you simply because there have been some victories this week. So what I want to encourage you with this afternoon, very simply, I want to talk about how you can win the battle and the war. How you can win the battle 
and the war. It's interesting, there's a lot actually, actually a lot of war, soldier, battle type terminology that is dealt with in Scripture. Uh, Brother Dave actually dealt with one of those passages the other night when he talked about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into obedience of Christ. It talks there in that passage about battling. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, we're told that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they are contrary the one to the other. The idea is they are at war against each other, the flesh and the spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have an entire chapter, excuse me, almost an entire chapter dedicated to this battle imagery where Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God. We have these weapons for battle. And in that passage, he tells us, listen, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not people that this battle is, is, is against. He tells us we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a real war going on, a battle for your soul that is taking place. And what I want to encourage you with in our time this afternoon is that what God has started doing in your heart this week, our prayer is that it continues as you go back home. And there are some specific things that God makes very clear that if you are going to see consistent victory in your life, these things have to take place. And I'll give you a little hint. These things are not unique for you as a teenager. These are things that for Matt Herbster, the director of the Wilds, 45-year-old, been saved for a long time, these things are the same for me. If I'm going to see victory in my own spiritual walk, these have to be true in my life. They're not unique for you as a teenager, but they are especially true for all of us who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you're here today and you still don't know Jesus Christ, if you've still said no to him, then there's really not a battle that's going on every day as far as between the flesh and the spirit, because really the Bible says that you are captured by the flesh. All you know to do is follow after that. And the battle that's going on in your heart is simply, are you going to say yes to Jesus Christ? And I hope that someday, sometime, maybe even this afternoon, that you would trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. So this is mainly for Christians this afternoon. How can you go home and continue to see victory and continue to see growth in your life as a child of God? Number one, number one, I think if we're going to win the battle, this is talking about seeing victory in specific struggles between the flesh and the spirit. But if we're going to win the war, we're talking about consistent victory. Seeing actually where you're seeing victory in your life continually. It's called maturity. And if this is going to happen, we've got to start off, first of all, by being highly skilled with our weapon. Being highly skilled with with our weapon. How many of you are kind of fascinated with military stuff? Maybe you're even thinking about going into the military. You know, you know what our military does not do? Our military does not sign somebody up for the military and the next day drop them off in a combat zone and throw a gun at them or maybe even stick them in a tank and say, hey, good luck with that. Hope it goes well. You're like, Matt, of course not. You know what they do? 
They spend hundreds of hours training them to be ready to use their weapon when that time comes. Do you know, young person, that we have a weapon that's declared very clearly in Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you are going to see consistent victory in the battles that you face every single day, you need to know God's Word. You need to know it very well. I don't mean just know it like, yeah, I can quote the books of the Bible. I don't mean just know it like, yeah, I know the stories in the Bible. I mean that you are digging and studying and working diligently to learn God's Word and apply it to your thinking every single day. Why do we have Scripture memory here at the Wilds? Because it's important for Christian life. Not just the Wilds, not just points. It's important for Christian life. Why do we have God and I time at the Wilds? Because it's important for Christian life. And we hope that maybe this habit will be established while you're here at camp. And you'll go home and stay in the Word of God. You know, I can make an argument that God and I time is more important when you're at home than it is here at camp. Because, you know, here at camp, you're getting all these messages every single day. That's not normal life when you go home. And you need to be in God's Word every single day. I ask my kids all the time, hey, what are you reading right now? What, what are you studying in God's Word each day? And it doesn't matter if it's my 12-year-old son or my 19-year-old daughter or their 45-year-old dad. If you are not in the Word of God, you cannot see spiritual victory on a consistent basis. It's just not going to happen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, as we've been singing about, describes the Word of God as sharper than any two-edged sword. So how do we become skilled with our weapon? Well, first of all, you need to be having personal Bible study every single day. Now, this is not because if I don't read my Bible, then somehow I don't get special bonus points with God, but if I do read my Bible, my day goes better. That's not why you read your Bible. That's not why you're in the Word of God. You're in the Word of God because it's what gives us instructions to know how to think about life. It tells us how to live. It tells you how to respond to different things that come your way. And so be in God's Word not because you, because you have to. Be in God's Word because you need to. And I'll just tell you, young person, if you go home from the wilds and you set your Bible on your, your dresser, and it sits there until Sunday, and that's normally what your week looks like, you are going to struggle spiritually. You're, you're going to have a difficult time. So be in God's Word every single day as you face these battles. But second of all, there's another way. You can memorize Scripture. We already talked about it quickly. Memorize one verse a week. Just one. How long do you think that'll take you to memorize one verse a week? I, I can't think it would take that long, right? Maybe 15 minutes? Maybe 20 minutes throughout the week. Memorize one verse a week and start hiding God's word in your heart. Be faithful to your church. How many of you, your church has more than one service a week? Let me see your hands. How many of your church has more than two services a week? Let me see your hands. How many of your church has more than three services a week? Okay. Most churches that I'm familiar with at least have Sunday school. They at least have Sunday morning have a Sunday afternoon or evening, okay, so probably three services on Sunday, and then many of them have a Wednesday night or sometime midweek prayer service. How many of you, that's fairly similar to what your church does? Okay, can I just tell you something? You ready? You ready? 
be there every time. Every time. You say, Matt, well, show me in the Bible where it says that I have to go to church on Sunday night. Show me in the Bible where I have to go to church on Wednesday night. You know we can't show you that. The Bible doesn't say, be there on Wednesday night, be there on Sunday night. But here's my question. As a child of God that knows you need all the help you can to grow spiritually, why would you ever want to miss church? Why would you not want to be there? What could be more important? Your ball game? Really? More important? I mean, earning a few extra bucks? Really? More important? You know, most places, most employers will allow you to give, give them some times that you cannot work. So why not when you go to work just say, hey, listen, uh, I just want to let you know I'm not going to be working on Sundays and I, don't, I can't work on Wednesday night because we have church, but any other time, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to work. Why not? Why wouldn't it be so important? You say, well, Matt, I mean, come on, you know, I mean, that's a lot of church. I don't know about you, but I need the encouragement. I need to hear from the Word of God. And so when you get home, don't go, oh, yeah, church. I mean, they're not going to have the fun and games I had at the wilds. You know what? Be in church. You need it. Be faithful to your local church. And I'll just tell you, young person, it's God's plan for how you're supposed to grow spiritually as the church. And if you're not there, you are short-circuiting one of the major things that God has put into your life to help you grow spiritually. So be faithful to church. Let me just add this one. I think godly music can be a huge way for you to learn more about God and his word. To fill your mind with music. How many of you, when you hear a song, and it'll kind of stay in your head for a good while the rest of the day? Has that ever happened to some of you? Oh man, that happens to me all the time. How many of you, sometimes you get a, either a stupid song in your head or a dumb song in your head and you're like, ah, I want to get this out of my head. Ever had that? Yeah, I mean, we do this song here at camp sometimes, dum, dum, da, 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 dum, dum, da, da. How many of you have heard this before? All right, a few of you. I, I'll do that at camp and it'll be in my head the rest of the day. It's like, ah, guess what? Do you know why music is like that? Because it's easy to remember do you know why then it's good to have godly music running through your head? Because it's going to stick with you. And you're going to be meditating on truth the rest of the day. So have good, godly, Christ-honoring music around and playing. You know, some of you fill your minds with so much garbage music, it's no wonder, it's no wonder you struggle with thinking rightly. It's no wonder. And I, I, you say, well, Matt, they're not horrible words. No, maybe not. But it's horrible philosophy. Why would you listen to it? You say, well, I mean, I mean, this person even claims to be a Christian. Right, but are they giving you a good philosophy with what you're meditating on? Why not be meditating on truth in the music that you listen to? So number one, be highly skilled with your weapon. Number two, Number two, if you are going to survive spiritually, if you're going to not just win a battle but win the war, you need to surround yourself with godly people. Surround yourself with godly people. I want to share with you one verse in Psalm 119, verse 63, where David says this. He says, I am a companion of all them that fear God and keep his commandments. Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear God and keep his commandments. So here's what David said. Here's how I'm going to determine my friends. 
Do they have a healthy reverence, love, and fear of God? That's the first question. Do they show by the way they live that they, they have a healthy reverence of God? And number two, do they obey God? Not perfectly, but do they desire to do what's right? You know, some of your, your problems are, are all, all go back to the fact that you have surrounded your people that pull you away from loving God more. So why not surround yourself with people that have a healthy reverence for God, that want to encourage you to be in church, and encourage you to do what's right, instead of surrounding yourself around people that are going to pull you away from doing what's right. Listen to what Proverbs 13, 20 says. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. For some of you, one of the biggest struggles you have is you have surrounded yourself with people that are not encouraging you to do what's right. And they continually pull you down. You say, Matt, but if I try and find people who want to fear God and follow God, I won't have any friends. Number one, I doubt that's true. But even if it is, are you willing to stand alone for Jesus Christ? And be a little bit by yourself. Find guys that you, that you, that'll hang around you that are going to say, no, we shouldn't watch that. No, we shouldn't listen to that. No, we shouldn't look at that. No, we shouldn't talk about that. But yes, we should be in church. Yes, we should be in God's word. Yes, let's encourage each other spiritually. Can I tell you something, girls? Don't even think twice about being interested in a guy if he doesn't have a heart for God. Just move on. Next. There's lots of fish in the sea. So why invest yourself emotionally in someone that is not going to draw you closer to the Lord? I've talked to so many girls over the years. They ended up marrying a guy that they knew wasn't a spiritual leader. And they're miserable in their marriage. And often their home is wrecked because they married a guy who didn't have a heart for God. I remember when I was a teenager... Remember hear people say all the time, you know, Matt, you need to look for a girl that loves God. You know, don't, you know, the outward appearance isn't the big deal. You just look for somebody that loves God. And, you know, I almost got this picture that I was supposed to go find the ugliest girl. And as long as she loved God, it was like, okay, we're good, you know. No, that's not the point. Of course you should be attracted to them. Of course you should say, think they're beautiful. But if that's all it is, wrong person. Move on. Be attracted to them. And you know what? Then as you get to know them and you see they have a heart for God and they want to do what's right and they want to love God's word, then go, this might be the one. But instead, stay away from people that aren't going to encourage you to love God. Now you can be close acquaintances with people like that that don't have a heart for God. Maybe you can encourage them. But your close friends, the people you surround yourself that you're buds with, ought to be people that are going to encourage you spiritually. And if you say, well, Matt, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to change my friends. Well, then just know you are going to struggle spiritually and God's hand of blessing will not be on your life and Satan is winning in your life. Number one, be highly skilled with your weapon. Number two, surround yourself with good people. Number three, well, there's the people who fear God and follow God. I didn't get up there on the screen there for you. Number three, know your enemy. Know your enemy. And I'm not going to spend too long of a time here 
But I just want to tell you, folks, if you are going to see consistent victory in your life, you need to know a couple things about your enemy. Number one, he's a roaring lion. Satan wants to ruin you. Satan wants to destroy you. And I mentioned it when I prayed right at the start. There are some of you, you have bought the lie. Here's the lie. You ready? If I give my life to God, I'm going to miss out on all kinds of fun and I'm going to be miserable. That's the lie Satan has told you and you're believing it. And Satan is laughing. He's like, I've got him. Oh man, they're actually believing me. They're believing me over what God says. <laughs> they won't listen in the services. They're going to do their own thing. They're going to get into the sin that even though they know what God's word says about it, because I have tricked them, I've deceived them, and he wants to ruin your life. When God simply tells you, listen, if you'll follow my plan, there are pleasures forevermore. Solomon even tried to warn us in Ecclesiastes with all this stuff is vanity. It doesn't satisfy. But there are some of you that are running to that. Satan is a roaring lion. He wants to destroy your life. But you know what else? There's another enemy. I think a lot of times we attribute some things to Satan that really are a problem just because we have a deceitful heart. And so because you know that your heart is deceitful, then guess what you ought to do? You ought to guard your heart. Protect it, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. This is why you've heard even last night talking about, listen, guys, guard your thoughts. Girls, guard your thoughts. Because your heart's deceptive. It's wicked. Guard your mind. Guard your heart and get rid of any hindrances in your life. Set them aside. Don't let those things pull you down. And instead, make it a priority to be careful because you know you have a deceitful heart. I could give you a lot of scripture for all these things to back this up, but let me just give you one. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, no soldier entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And can I just tell you, when you are a soldier of Jesus Christ, you are focused on pleasing him and everything else that doesn't help you along that path is a distraction and you set it aside. Get rid of hindrances in your life. So, number one, be highly skilled with your weapon. Number two, surround yourself with godly people. Number three, know your enemy. Number four, trust and obey your captain's orders. We sang this song on Monday night, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds basic. But it is so easy to see what God's word says and then decide, well, I'll see if I want to do it. Instead of simply saying, you know what? I trust what God is saying to me. I'm going to obey it. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, it describes Jesus Christ as the captain of our salvation. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12 to look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. So simply trust that he knows what's best for you. Trust that he wants to do in your life and obey his orders that he lays out for you. And the Bible promises victory if you will do that. Number five, 
Number five, if you're going to see consistent victory in your life, don't quit. Don't quit. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, the Bible says this, For though a just man falleth seven times, he riseth up again. He gets back up. Do you know when you get home, you're going to face a lot of things that you don't face here at camp. Some of you, when you get home, you're going to face some persecution. You're going to face people that don't want you to do what's right. They're going to make fun of you for doing what's right. They're going to mock you for doing what's right. You're going to face some persecution. And here in America, that's about the extent of the persecution that you're going to face. You'll get mocked and made fun of. There are some trials that are going to come your way that you're going to battle with that make it, seem to make it hard to do what's right. And guess what else? There's just going to be flat-out failure that takes place in your life when you get back home. There's not a single person in this room that is perfect. And so guess what that means? That means we're not perfect. Wasn't that beautifully profound, okay? We are not perfect, which means what? We're going to make mistakes. You don't want it to happen. You wish it wouldn't happen But it will happen because we still battle the flesh. And at times we give in. We say the wrong thing. We think the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. We act the wrong way. We make foolish choices. And if we're not careful, that failure is going to cause us to quit and give up in trying to serve God. It happens all the time here at camp. Somebody comes and God stirs their heart and they know, hey, I need to surrender this to God and they see change in their life and they get back home and in the first week they're home, they mess up. How many of you have had that happen to you before in coming to camp? Yeah, absolutely. I have. I remember specific things that God had dealt with me about at camp. I'd get back home and I was committed to surrendering and doing what's right. Within the first week, i blow it. And you know the temptation? The temptation is to think this, ah, see, There's no point. There's no use. That's what happens at camp every year. That's just how it works, and I can't live for God. Instead of saying no, why would I react that way? I want to get again and confess to the Lord, Lord, I don't want this in my life. Help me to do what's right. Help me to stay in your word. I don't want to give in. And getting back up and continuing on. How many of you play some sort of sport? You play a sport? You know, there is failure all over sports, right? I mean, it very rarely happens, very rarely, when a basketball player goes through an entire game and doesn't miss a single shot. Now, I guess if he's only shooting one shot and it was an uncontested layup, he might be able to go one for one, okay? But if a guy's playing most of the game and he's a regular player, usually, I mean, if a guy shoots like 50% from three-point land over a year, we're all like, that's not bad. You know, when ridiculous people in the NBA go seven for nine you're like what unbelievable um I don't know anybody who has a hundred percent free throw percentage in college or the NBA what does that mean that means they fail that means they miss guess what a great average is in baseball three out of ten batting 300 not too bad, right? Like, oh, good, this guy had a good year. He's batting 300. Like, he failed seven out of ten times. We accept it in these things 
Not in the sense where it's like, oh, well, but in the sense that, you know what? I don't get discouraged. I keep going back at it. I keep working at it. I keep striving. And young people, can I just tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, we are going to fail. It's not fun. We don't want it. We guard our hearts so it doesn't happen. But here's what happens. Often when we fail, we just give up and we say, see, I can't do it. I I can't live for God. Instead of saying, Lord, by God's grace, thank you for the forgiveness that you have promised. I don't want that in my life. Lord, please help me to live for you. Help me not to do it again. And if it happens four days later, Lord, I don't want this. Lord, please, I confess this to you. I'm repenting. And Lord, change me and grow me. And this is how spiritual maturity takes place. Not being content with your failure, not being okay with your failure, but also not just laying down and saying, oh, well, I can't serve God. A just man falleth seven times, but he riseth up again. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He that covers his sins will not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall find mercy. Can I, so can I urge you, when you get home, don't quit. Satan loves it when you're short-sighted. He loves it when all you can think about is that, oh man, I blew it, and yeah, see, I can't. He loves that. He loves it when you give up. But why not say, Lord, I want to get back in your word. I want to get back on my knees. I need your help, Lord. Help me to be faithful in church. Help me to be faithful in saying no to sin and guarding my heart. And Lord, surround me with good people that are going to encourage me to do what's right. Lord, I want to live for you. And let God keep changing you and growing you. You know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to always battle. You're going to always seek to keep growing. But someday God's going to allow you, if, it, if it's his plan, that someday you're going to get married. Scary thought, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, right now. <laughs> someday God may allow you to get married, and someday God may allow you to have a family. And guess what? Some of you have seen this. You've seen it up close and personal. Will you be a blessing to the kids that God puts in your life and point them towards Jesus Christ? Or will you be selfish and angry and want your own way and make it hard for your kids to live for God like some of your parents have done for you? You have a, you have a choice. You can be short-sighted and just go, oh man, I just want to do what I want right now. And doesn't, or you can say, you know what? I want to be used by God. I want him to change me. I want him to grow me. I want to be an an example right now of what Christ can do. So that as I get older, and as God gives me a family someday, I can pour into my own kids so that they will love God and want to do what's right. Get a vision for the future of what God wants to do in your life. Young person, we are thrilled you come to camp. No question. I think camp is an important thing. But it's only one week. Not even a full seven days. And you can't plan on this one week being your spiritual shot in the arm for the rest of the year. That's ridiculous. And what God has put in to his plan is that the church is there to grow you and change you. So be there. Be in his word. And let this next year be the best spiritual year of your life.
Wouldn't that be awesome? Be able to look back and say, you know what? I grew more this year than I have any other year, spiritually. My son Jonathan is 12, and he's actually fairly tall for his age. He was 11 pounds when he was born. That's a massive baby, all right? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have a baby. We had a linebacker. Um, he was 11 pounds, 24 inches long when he was born, and he's a tall kid. You know, he's always wondering, how much am I going to grow? Is this going to be the year that I really shoot up? When is that going to happen? Will I be as tall as my dad? All these kinds of questions. And you know what? We love to measure those things. Maybe some of your parents used to put little lines on the wall and mark your growth from year to year. How many of your parents did something like that? Okay, yeah. Uh, my parents did that as well. And you kind of look. Well, you know what? Why don't, why don't we get excited and look back this next year and say, you know what? Praise the Lord by his grace and with his help. This was the most spiritual growth I've seen in my life in one year. By his grace. I saw more victory in specific battles. We've got a lot of our counselors back here. You know, counselors, same for you. That you'd be able to look on this next year and say, man, it was the best spiritual life, best spiritual year of my life. I hope that's the case for me. And by God's grace, if you'll follow his plan, he can do that in your life as well.